right, let's um let's say a word of prayer and then we'll we'll jump into it. So Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to study again together. Um, and as we're walking through John, I just pray that you can again allow us to understand, um, discuss, help things be practical, um, and bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, we're heading to John chapter 18. So you can go there in your Bibles, John chapter 18. Um, now, I think most of you guys, maybe with the exception of Jodian and Tyler, um, haven't been here for the last couple of weeks. So let's do a little um, recap so we understand the flow of the story so far. So um, we've just kind of finished um, a discourse of Jesus, um, starting from really chapter 13, chapter 14, all the way to chapter 17, um, where he's spending time with his disciples. Um, he has the upper room experience. Judas goes and leaves um, to do what he's going to do in terms of betraying Jesus. Jesus continues to talk about um, certain topics in terms of what's going to happen when he leaves, um, the fact that he's going to leave when he's about to die, um, that the Holy Spirit is going to come, that they're going to be persecuted, um, that they're going to get power and they're going to have answered prayer. Um, and then he finishes with a prayer that we discussed last week in chapter 17. Um, and often described as like the hope, the most holy place of the New Testament. Um, the chapter is really an intimate moment of Jesus and God um, talking um, and Jesus praying for both um, for his ministry at the start and the fact that he's about to go home soon for his disciples, which he's leaving there and for the, the future greater church and the Gentiles that will join the church um, in the future. And so we went through that in chapter 17. And so we arrive now at chapter 18. Um, and does anyone know what the title of today's study was? It's, it's getting real. It's getting real, right? So this is like we're, we're about to get into the... Uh, into the real bit of, of not to say that the, the past wasn't, um, wasn't real, but we're about to get into like the, the, the heavy stuff, right? So um, you may realize that John only has 21 chapters and we're on chapter 18. So there's only four more chapters to go through. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're getting into the, to the high stakes um, rounds at the moment. So I'm starting to read from verse one of chapter 18 um, and we're going to cover the first maybe 11 to 14 verses first so um, we can do two verses each um, in fact let's read all of verses 1 to 14 and then we can come back and, um, and recap when Jesus had spoken these words he went forth with his disciples over Brook Sidron where was a garden into the which he entered his disciples and Judas also which betrayed him knew the place for Jesus oft times resorted 
together with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If, the, if ye therefore seek me, let these go their way. That the same might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lo lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain of uh, officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Last couple of verses. And led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Cool. All right. So starting to get into the heavy stuff now. So um, there's three bits that I want to cover um, within this passage, and then we're going to kind of talk about Peter a bit. Um, so the first thing, right, so let's do a little bit of background. So we kind of, John John doesn't go too deep into, or deep at all, into what happens um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, kind of um, skips over it in terms of what we, we know Jesus, you know, praying uh, as the disciples are sleeping, and then, you know, him saying the famous words, you know, can this cup pass from me, but, you know, if it's your will, let it be done. Um, John doesn't really get into any of that. He just goes straight from, you know, they come to the garden and then straight into um, Judas's betrayal, right? So we get that in the first couple of verses. Um, and then in verse three, we see Judas. Um, it says, then having a band of, of, um, band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees um, coming with lanterns and torches and weapons. So what's, what's, this, what's the scene happening at the moment? You kind of have a mob 
flocking to Jesus to to bring him in. Cool, right? You have a mob of people coming to um, bring him in and, you know, it says a band of men and the officers of the Pharisees. So one could assume that they're Roman soldiers there in terms of the band of men and then also the Pharisees' own um, kind of um, guard there. So there's probably quite a few people there, definitely more than there were disciples. Um, and so, you know, Jesus at this point is outnumbered um, and they've come to take him in. This is it. Like, they've had enough. The Pharisees have had enough. Um, this is, this. we're getting it done now, right? This is the time that we're going to come up in the dark of night. Judas has led us here. Let's, um, let's deal with the situation, right? And then we see, um, come to verse four. So verse four says, Jesus, knowing, therefore knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said, unto him who seek ye now what's that what's that verse saying just so i can find it in mind which verse was that uh, verse four thank you it's interesting that jesus goes up to them knowing that they're looking for him and ask them, how can I help you? Basically, uh, you know, I, I don't know the vibes that I'm I'm think I'm getting when I'm reading this is you know when you walk into a shop and one of the assistants asks you, how can I help you with anything? But yeah. Anyway, else? what 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 kind of vibes do we get from like what do we know from the verse from what it says in the verse? What do we know about Jesus at this point? He knew everything that was about to happen. He knew everything, right? He wasn't surprised. He wasn't caught off guard. This wasn't like, oh, and they're here. He knew, like, Jesus was ahead of the game on this one, right? And so, go ahead, Tonda. No, I was just going to say, you can kind of see, like, Jesus is flipping the scene on them because they have a, a whole mob, a band of officers, like, ready to come and make an impression. But then the, Jesus's energy in the whole situation, it really, it takes their... Um, I don't know what the, the word is, but you know when when you're kind of hyped up and you know what you're about to do, and then everything goes opposite to what you planned. So like you kind of see how they were shocked by Jesus's demeanor and his reaction to everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was almost like, oh, you're not surprised that we've come and ambushed you. Oh, um, why didn't you run if you knew we were here? Um, you know why? You know, and and why aren't you running now? Surely now you've seen us and you you get it, then surely like well you're not scared. That's the kind of thing. So yeah, so under Nathan spot on, right? And then we get to um to verse five. So someone could read verse five. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Cool. Right. So we're going to deal with three things um, within this kind of passage. One is the first one is Jesus' claim. Right. So what does this um, what does his answer remind you of, if anything? I'm not sure if I can connect it, but when um when uh, in in Moses in Moses' story, when he says, "I am that I am," 
Definitely, right? Cool. So let's let's go there. So if someone could read um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Cool. So that's what Jesus is kind of um, paying homage to. Um, when, you know, Moses was about to go to Pharaoh and asked him to let the people go, Moses said, Well, who am I going to tell Pharaoh who has sent me? What's your name? And God said, tell him I am that I am and tell him I am has sent you, right? So um, so Jesus is saying, uh, I am he in that same vein, right? And we see Jesus do this a few times. If we go back in John, right? If someone could read John um, chapter eight, verses 57 and 58, just to, as another example of this. Uh, John chapter eight, verses 57 and 58. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then cool. took up stones. Sorry, yeah. That, yeah, that, no, yeah, go ahead. Actually, that, that bit's going to be relevant. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Awesome. All right. So why did they pick up stones? They looked at it as blasphemy. You know? they, looked at, they looked at it as blasphemy. Why were they looking at it as blasphemy? Because he, he called himself I am. And so, you know, at the burning bush, you know, and God told Moses, you know, tell the, tell the children of Israel that I am have sent you. Jesus called himself God, basically, and they didn't believe that it was God. Awesome, right? So Jesus is kind of equalizing himself with God at this point. If God is if, if if God used that as like the um his first name in the Bible, this is what God is called. God says, I am, that's my name, right? If Jesus is saying that several times, again, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. That's another um reference to that text. And Jesus says this um several times. Um Jesus is equalizing himself with with the Father. And they didn't like that. So obviously they went to go pick up stones after him. Right, and we're going to deal with the reaction to them hearing this in a minute. But let's just deep um, what this means, right? So, what what does "I am" mean as a, as a word, as a phrase? They're just claiming because that. Abraham. Just sorry, sorry, just to give a bit of context. When we, Jesus was talking about Abraham, they said, "Oh, but you're not fifty years old. How could you know? How could you have spoken or known about Abraham?" And Jesus says, before Abraham was, he could have said, I was, right? He could have said, before Abraham was, I was. And that would have been spectacular enough. But he said, before Abraham was, I am. What, what, what's the phrase mean? Yeah, go ahead, Tonda. It's making that claim that um, he is who he is. You know, instead of saying he, uh, I was, like in the past tense, saying I am in the present says that I am here now, I am here when Abraham was there, I am, I am there before Abraham was there. And it's very reminiscent to how John opens the book saying that um, in the beginning was the word, because uh, I think John really understood 
how Jesus is who he is. You know, he is the I am. So yeah, that's that's how I'm seeing it. Awesome, awesome. Nathan, you're gonna say something? Um, it's probably easier to say it than write it out in the chat. So yeah, God is God, God is outside of time. Um, and you know, for us, we have our whole timeline, you know, we have we're born and from that moment we're just going along. Time is passing, days, hours. Um, you know, we're changing our state as we're going through this time. But for God, because he's outside of time, God can be physically, not even he can be, but he is physically in the present. And he is physically in the past. And he is physically in the future. I remember going to, um, I think it was Gospel Jam a couple a couple years ago. And someone brought that up. You know, they had like a little preacher slot. And the guy brought this up. And he was just saying, so when you ask God for something, um, <laughs> remember who you're asking. Remember the fact that God is not bound from time by time. So in the moment that you ask God, God, according to God's will, he may have already done it for you. And it's almost like all we're waiting for is for you to catch up, for your, you and your time-constrained reality to catch up to what God has already done for you. Because God can be in the future just patterning that for you already. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the point I'm making. God is without time. I don't know what he's doing in the past. I'm not sure how exactly that makes sense to, to us and to me. But he, he can be there and he is there. And so, yeah, when he's saying I am, it really is just him remember, reminding us that he's outside of the time, the, mm. time, the time constraints that we are. Cool. Right, 100%, right? And so because we, we, we understand God the Father is that, so Jesus is putting himself in that bracket as well. He's like, what do you think God the Father is? I'm there too, right? But we need to understand the outrageousness of this claim Right, so we, um, uh, when we think about other religions, when we think about other faiths, um, and you may think of, um, you know, the founders of each faith, so you may think of like Buddha, you may think of Muhammad, you may think of who, whoever these um, kind of founders of each faith are, and Jesus being Christianity, Jesus is the only one who makes these kind of claims, right? You cannot go through the through the Gospels without hearing Jesus say something quite outrageous in terms of his claim to the divinity that no, none of these other people claim. And yet we hear certain things like, um, oh, Jesus was a good prophet. He was a good prophet. He spoke of good things. He had a, he had a good message. Um, you know, people may say, oh, he was a wise man. Um, he was a good guy. Um, but if you think about it, um, that is an impossibility conclusion after you've read about Jesus's life. Now, why do I say that? Why is that an impossible conclusion? Because you either take him at his word and everything that he said, or you, he's a lunatic. I mean, there's, there's, there's really those two options. Either Jesus is God in the flesh, or he is a lunatic. Those are the two options. And so when Jesus is making these claims, he's being very, he's being very clear. Either you are for me or against me. There's none of this, oh, Jesus has some nice quotes that I can put on Instagram. And, you know, um, he said some nice things once and he was a good man back in the day, or even that he was a good prophet. 
that's not what Jesus spoke about. That's not what Jesus said about himself. And so if you're going to think that Jesus was a good prophet, that doesn't make sense. Right? Jesus was God in the flesh. Either you believe that or you believe he's a, he's, he's a lunatic. He's, he's gone mad. Right? They, you can't have both. You can't have, you can't have, yeah, well, he wasn't really speaking the truth, but he was a good guy. That doesn't make sense. Yeah? We're on the same page. That is that's deep um, in the sense that we've got obviously so many, especially in the in the the I want to say the situation that we live in, where you know tolerance is is something that is pumped out so much, and it, and it's to this to the point of like you know people will be in other religions, and yet you know they'll still pride themselves on being tolerant to you know, Christianity and stuff. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, Jesus was a good man and all of this. But yeah, denying that, denying anything he said is denying everything he said. And even for us as Christians, that's, that's a deep one because same way we pick and choose with the Bible sometimes. Mm. <laughs> it's the same way, it's the same way that, that works. With God, you either take all of me or none of me. It is, it's all in or nothing. Exactly. That's a reminder. Exactly. Um, and that is exactly it. When we think about, so when you think about God, um, or sorry, Jesus specifically in your life, when I think about Jesus in my life, do I give him the um the respect that that that, that God is when he's when he starts when he says I am, right? When he says I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you see Jesus as um, a nice role model, you know, someone who, you know, was a good guy, someone I'm going to try to be like, um, you know, he said some quotes, I'm going to read about him, I'll enjoy his life. But really, yeah, he was he was a guy. Or do you see him as God? Right. Do you see him as um, as sovereign? And that perspective, as we're going to read in a minute, alters the way you react towards things of him right there's no middle ground when you think he is god of all you then think okay but then you know i can do what i want i'll say what i want i'll react to him as i want there's really only one posture when it comes down to that um and so we're going to see this in this next bit right so um so that was the first bit the second bit we see in verse um six so someone could read verse six As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell onto the ground. Cool. Why do you think there was this reaction? We're imagining these guys are soldiers, right? Soldiers, officers, you know, they've got weapons. These guys probably have seen battle before, hardened. You know, these are, these are big men coming to do a job. And Jesus says two words, three words, I am he, right? And all of them fall down. Why do we think that's that's what happens? It makes me think of um, like when people 
maybe they're getting frustrated or they recognize that, you know, they need to get other people to listen to them. And so they raise their voice or speak with a little bit more bass in their voice or, you know, they, they do something to try and get other people to pay attention. And mm-hmm. even then, sometimes, I don't know if you guys have ever been, maybe it's a friend group, maybe it's a, you know, a kind of teacher-student scenario, but you've got somebody that's desperately trying to be heard and no one's paying any attention. And sometimes, even though they're putting bass in their voice or even though they're speaking faster or louder, you know, they're still getting no respect with what's being said. But, the, I mean, here we're seeing that Jesus not only claims authority, but it's almost like, no, it's not almost like, it's true that he had, he had the power behind the words as well. And, you know, I don't think he did it just because he was like, you know what, these guys are coming to arrest me. Let me push him over because, you know, passive aggressive behavior. But I think maybe more, more of a recognition of what they're dealing with. Maybe it's something that they'd be able to reflect on in the future. Maybe it's something that um, would kind of shake some of them out of their stupidity right then and there. Maybe it's just so that we can read it and know that he's legit. But either way, it was for the benefit of somebody. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, let's see. Can someone read um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Cool. Right. Does anyone know the context of that text? Hadn't he just had a vision? Cool. So yeah, what what was his vision of? Of God. Of God, right? Of God, but God in what context? Like God sitting on the throne. God, God sitting on the throne, right? So this is God, like in His glory, right? Yeah. And what is Isaiah's response? Uh, with us that he his mind immediately goes to I can't be here I can't be here like this you know I am sinful I'm surrounded by sin <laughs> and you're gonna put me you're gonna put me in the presence of God where sin can't be no literally right it's literally like um it's literally he says I'm undone right that's literally like saying I'm falling apart like this, I can't. As Nathan said, I can't be here. I don't. It doesn't feel something's wrong. Like I can't be in this in this presence right now. I need to come away. I need to fall down. I need, and you see this several times in the Bible, right? Where someone has, um, be it um, Saul turning into Paul with his vision falls down to the ground. Wherever it's um, Peter, um, sets. Several places in the Bible, you'll see people have an experience of God in terms of God and in his glory, and all they can do is fall down to the ground. Why do we think that that is the, 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 the response that, that we have? And hence, why do you think these guys fell backwards and fell to the ground? Can I can I can I propose that it's actually purity? 
when I say purity, I'm just thinking of the fact that, you know, sin is a part of who we are down here, unless God takes it away. And mm. so being exposed to the complete opposite of everything that makes you, you know, uh, you know, it's almost like it's almost like it's not as much a physical response, you know, brought on by the heat or the light of God's presence, rather than almost like a spiritual response. The fact that your 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 spirit, your soul, just can't um, huh, can't can't take the purity. Mm. I need someone to break this down better than I can. Cool, cool. We're gonna break it down. Anyone else have any um, any ideas around this? Sorry, by the way, um, the I, I was trying to describe what I was, you know, what I was saying, but I'm I'm thinking of it almost like physics, like the the physics of spirituality, and as much as it's not, you know, it's not about these guys. Oh, they fell bad, so they fell, they fell down. It was like, you know, you turn on a light in the room, the darkness has to, you know, the shadows have to disappear. So it wasn't a case of their fighting to stay on their feet. They they can't. Mm. So I'm here thinking like it, it was a very much a forced natural response. Yeah, I think um, just to build on what you were saying there, the natural response of humanity when faced with divine spirituality, that is God, is that of humbleness, that of, you know, we kind of get put in our place. I feel like in this moment, they were put in their place. Like um, they weren't there expecting to 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 have the power and the authority in this situation. You know, they came with the numbers, they came with the weapons, they came with the, the torches and whatever. But then Jesus simply saying, I am, was like inside them from the times they spent in synagogue. Um, as, as a child, they had that, that phrase in their heads and now they're seeing like just Jesus' power in front of them and their natural inclination is as you were saying, as anyone would when faced with Jesus in front of them, the same way that Joshua and Moses did, was to fall to the floor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ruben, we're going to come back to your question. It's a good question, but we're coming there. But let's um let's continue to deep the the actual core of why um this happens, right? So I'm going to try and give you an example. Um, but you're going to help me out. So um, Tyler. What are you what do you feel like you're really good at better than average? Like if you're gonna showcase a skill, what would that skill be? Why me? As a showcase a skill? Yeah. Like something that you feel like you're actually good at. Where do I begin? Um joking. Um I said, where do I begin? Say no more. Um let's see. Let's just say American football. American football, right? So generally walking around, right? People um, you see in the street, Tyler is generally better at American football than the average person, right? If you see Tyler, Tyler's a big guy, tall, strong, like American football is gonna do some bits, right? You are, you're gonna choose Tyler on your team, yeah? So Tyler, how would you feel if you were playing American football? Let's say you're the captain of your team. Let's say that you're the best player on your team. How would you feel if someone um, younger than you um, 
came to your team and was much, much better than you, visibly better. How would that make you feel? To be honest, I'm getting vexed. First, I'll be a little bit... Not vexed. At first, I'm looking at this guy like, wow, this is what we're doing, okay. And then and then it's going to be, wow, now I need to make sure I'm be- I get better even more than I thought you needed to be. Cool, right? So it would, you'd feel a bit threatened, number one, right? Yeah, definitely. So it would it would make you up your game. What if you try to up your game and anything you do you did couldn't quite reach this guy? This guy was just too much. Then he's gonna have an injury. <laughs> he's got deep, right? Is is at this point it's a bit mad. Yeah, yeah. it hurts Nathan. a lot more. Yeah, for sure, for sure, right? Nathan, let's go to you. Right, you love the piano, right? Let's say you are. Um, Let's say you're not even with a group of friends. Let's say you're by yourself, right? And you're you're in church. Let's say the church is empty and you're just there, just on the piano, just hitting some chords, doing your thing, right? You're loving the sound that it's playing. You're feeling confident in your playing at this point, yeah? And then someone younger than you um, comes and goes, oh, Nathan, let me jump in the keys. And you sit next to him as he jumps on the keys and he just does some madness. How are you feeling? To be fair, to be fair, I've practiced this. <laughs> I've practiced this, so my response will be acceptable. Um, you know, yeah. I, I feel a part a part of any musician thing is learning to is learning to respect child prejudice. Um, so, <laughs> but listen, 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 listen. There is that you know, but obviously, obviously, sometimes. Unless you're focused on the sound and you're actually focused on enjoying it, mm-hmm. then it can easily give rise to jealousy. And you, you guys know from experience that this is is the worst emotion that can actually just rob you of the joy of an experience because you're out here sitting comparing yourself. And yeah, and yeah, listen, I, I've 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 seen it. I've probably done it, and I've been around people that get salty about it. And, and I, you know, just vibes if you go to a different church and whether I sit down or whether it's someone else or whatever, you know, you'll see like the main keys player kind of like come back to the piano quickly, you know, and more time they'll cover it up with like, you know, they want to talk to you, find out where you're from, if you're coming back, how long are you staying? <laughs> you know, but yeah, that type of vibe. Yeah, I hear you. You're threatened, right. silly man. Threatened. That's exactly what it is, right? Let's go. Let's even go to um, a different example, right? Let's go to academics, yeah, because we've done sports, we've done music. Let's go to academics. Those who have been like um, in school settings where um, there's a lot of kids, there's always that one kid who does no work. You will look in their book. I remember seeing this, like literally seeing this, where I'd be in a math class and I'd look at this guy's book and he's written the date on every page, but there's nothing else in the book. It's like he writes the date there, waiting for the lesson to start, and then he just sits there. And yet every single test, this guy was getting A-stars. Make it make sense. Everyone else, everyone else is struggling, trying to work out what the teacher is saying, trying to get through these math problems. And this guy, without writing a single thing, a stars like looking at 95, 100, 98, 
like crazy things, right? And he didn't do no work, at least to the visible eye, right? Did no work. And this wasn't just in maths. This was English, this was science, this was geography. Whatever this guy did, he's getting straight, straight A's and seemingly did no work, right? And it's frustrating. And what happens is, there is um, there's a, a phenomena that is, if someone is better than you at something, getting flashbacks now, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I, I can't think of someone who has, he's been in a school environment for a while and hasn't had that experience, right? But what happens, um, there's, there's a psychological thing that happens when you come up against something that is totally and utterly better than you. And what happens is you, um, you, it is, it is an affront to your pride. It's an affront to your pride. The things when we said that we feel threatened, we feel um, angry, we feel, um, you know, maybe discombobulated or, or um, uneasy um, in whatever these situations are is because it's an affront to our pride, right? We feel like we're good at something and someone else is much better, un almost unattainably better than us at it. Right? So it's not that we need to try a bit harder and then we'll get there. No, they're, they're quite a few um, yards away from where we are. It's not like you're just going to catch up to this guy this, or this girl. They're doing bits, right? And there is a, um, it's an affront to your pride, right? It's going to hurt self. Yeah. And so how much more do you think that experience matters if we're thinking about humans, other people doing good things, right? Imagine how much more that would you would feel that if you were in God's presence. And so what happens when you get this experience with God, be it through Jesus or God the Father, as we've seen um, several times throughout um, the Bible, is that you have no option but to um, cower. As Nathan said, it was almost, it's almost scientific that when you turn off a light, the, the darkness has to run. And it's because there is an element of your pride that cannot be around something so greater than you. So the, the automatic result of that, whether you like it or not, is humbleness. Do we get that? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, we're on the same page. Cool. Right. So then we we lead to this question, right? Which Ruben, um, in fact, Ruben, go ahead, run your question. No, I was just I was just gonna like seek clarification on that. Are we okay. saying whether whether this is um whether it's like conscious humility, like we're making ourselves humble, or whether it's by force, you're just saying it's a natural response to just be humbled. It is a natural response to be humbled. These, these guys, right, who we see fell down on the ground would have been shocked and in awe at what they were experiencing. It's not like, oh, oh, we fell on the ground. Well, yeah, that's, that's probably what, what would happen if this happened. It was like... Whoa, whoa, bro, what are we doing on the ground? Like, did you see that? That was a, like, I, I couldn't even move forward. Like, I had to, like, 
it is it's not something that is that is conscious all the time sometimes it is conscious I would suggest that Isaiah's maybe was a bit more conscious but even so it was um involuntary it was I can't like literally I can't be in the situation right now I can't be here I can't I can't me how I am I can't be here I can't stand next to God on like we're like we're at the same level Like my only position at this point is to be on the ground. Hey. So yeah, go ahead. Ask your question. One from before, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I was saying, why don't we have that response to God now? In this day and age, in our experience every day now. Question to the group: Why do you think we don't experience um, that level of shock and awe? Um, now in our, in our experience. I feel like God's intention is, is something that you should have to understand about because, you know, it wasn't every day when everyone would fall to their fall or fall to the floor and you, know, you don't walk into the synagogue and, and you collapse because you walked into to God's place. Um, it was like specific moments throughout the Bible where you see people really falling to their knees in the presence of, of God. And it wasn't like all of the disciples always fell whenever Jesus made a claim um, to him being who he is. And you also see in, um, I think it's in uh, in uh, Peter's writings where he says um, that his faith is not built on the fact that he saw Jesus face to face and he walked around with him. It was instead um, due to prophecy and I think God doesn't want us to um, to follow him out of you know the, the literal fear of of um, of who he is and you know it's not about us seeing him every day it's meant to be us trusting in him for the sake of love not for the sake of fear um, in in the negative context of course so I'm kind of seeing that as why we don't experience that on a day-to-day basis today I'm sure there might be some people that still feel this emotion um, or feel mm. that feeling um, in certain situations, but I don't think it's something God wants us to have constantly all the time. Cool. All right. Interesting. Cool. 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 Um, any other any other um, answers? What um, what Wanda just said about uh, making that link to kind of um, prophesying and following God for that reason it reminds me of um, I think it's King Saul when he was doing his madness and chasing David, you know, David's over here, scurrying over after David over there. David's over there, scurrying after David over there, yeah? Um, trying to track him down. And there was this one time where David was holed up in some city. I can't remember if it was a holy city or whatever city it was, but Saul keeps sending people to go and get him. And every single time they go, they start prophesying, yeah? And then he goes and says, you know what? all of you are weaklings i'm gonna go myself and he ends up prophesying and prophesying and like you know he wasn't exactly looking very kingly you know rolling yeah. around you know no clothes on all of that type of stuff yeah. prophesy and it's like you know is this the natural response you go up against god and he's like you're gonna sing my praises whether you like it or not yeah cool cool all right 
hundred percent. All right. Well, any other answers? No. Okay. All right. What I would say is probably a mix of the two answers. I would say um, it really depends on the extent to which your relationship has grown with God. Um, but at the same time, it could also mean that you're not experiencing God. Yeah. So I think in one in one instance, you may not feel like this and you may have never felt like this in your life because you've never really taken the time to experience who God is really, right? So if you've never um, really deep or really been shown God, um, then how would you ever have this experience? So that's, that's, that's one side of things. The other side of things is um, there's an element in which as you get, and which I think maybe to wonder was um, alluding to, was agree, agree God doesn't necessarily want us to have a, um, a fall down on the floor, cower away from him um, experience all the time. In fact, we see that in um, with the Israelites, when God comes to try to talk to them, and the Israelites are like, whoa, 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 this is, this is too much for us. Look, Moses, let's, we'll, we'll chat to you, you chat to God, right? And so that kind of says to me, same way Tawanda was saying, you know, the disciples didn't drop down every time they heard Jesus make one of these claims. And I think that is to do with how deep their relationship is with God, how they probably, like Peter had that experience with Jesus already, he had that fall down the foot, like this is the son of God um, moment already. And so now he spent so much time with Jesus that not that he's necessarily used to it, but he is he is now has a different, like the, the humility that he feels um, around Jesus um, is now more of a constant than it was when he first started. And so um, we see this with Moses as well. Moses is so, like when he first saw the burning bush, I imagine he was quite, um surprised and in awe but at the same time by the time he's um on the mountain going through the wilderness he's asking to see god he wants to and he's conversing with him and he's getting the tablets of stone from the mountain he comes off the mountain he's got a glow um and although in those moments he may have gone down and, uh, and be flat faced on the ground there is a different aspect to how you deal with god when you have a relationship with him um, and and your your relationship has grown with him. So I guess the question for us is, do we not see God like this generally because we have never really experienced God? Or is it the flip side where we're actually now in a relationship with God so much so that this is um, our humility towards God is more of a constant? And that is something that we can um we can have some self um diagnosis for Ruben were you going to say something um I'll put my hand down because you kind of said it I was just thinking that was a great point about um understanding Jesus as God and that eliciting some kind of response but then the response changes when you understand him as a friend yeah 100% um because I think there is different aspects to uh, God, both in terms of Jesus and in terms of God the Father. 
I think there is this boy. I'm just a I'm just a man. I'm literally made out of dirt. Um, the, and the only reason why I'm alive is because of his breath that's in me. And there's this God of the universe who has always lived, who we've already discussed is always present in every moment, um, who is so different from me. Like we're not, this, we may be made in his image and created in his likeness, but we are so distant in terms of our um, actual nature to what who God is. And so um, there's this aspect that we're quite distant from God and he's like over there and he's this massive powerful thing that I can't even wrap my head around. But at the same time, God wants to be our friend. God wants to be personal. God wants to abide. When we talk about you know abiding in the vine, um, God is seen as a personal um, God. He's, so, he's someone who wants to be close. You know, he wants to, you know, Jesus's name, uh, another Jesus, another one of Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so there's these two aspects that kind of work in parallel. God is still almighty and glorious. And even someone who, like Isaiah, can see God on his throne and cower and be amazed at what he's seeing, but at the same time can have such a relationship with God that he did what he did. If that makes sense. But yeah, it's one decade. I also wanted to just add slightly that um, there's also the fact of um, God understands um, how the devil operates as well. And we, if he was constantly relying on his, his, uh, his power to make us fall to the floor, um, then us as humans, we would have a difficulty knowing who and where Jesus really is because the devil can replicate and, you know, make um, fake copies of, you know, these things and these acts that we see. So, um, you know, th there's even these um, false prophets and false pastors that, you know, have whole congregations falling to the floor. I'm sure we've seen the videos. Um, yeah. So it's also to help us identify that which is truly of God and that which is not. If it was just the feeling and falling to the floor every time we come to God, we know that's not really him. But if we mm -hmm. lean our understanding and our faith on his personality, his character, his prophecy, that's how we can really understand who he is. For sure, for sure, for sure. Okay, let's move on because time is clicking away. I just looked at the time and I'm like, whoa, we've only hit verse six. So um, let's continue. So let's... Um, read from verse um, 7 to 11. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the same might be fulfilled which he spake. Of them which thou givest me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said unto Peter, put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father had given me, shall I not drink it? Awesome. Okay. So what we're seeing from Jesus in um, more so in verses um, 8 and verses 11. We see it quite locally in verse 8, and we see it much broader in verse 11. Go ahead, Ruben. I was just saying that we see him trying to preserve his disciples, trying to protect them. And also, obviously, it's still about fulfilling scripture, as we're seeing in verse 9. 
And in verse 10, we're seeing that Jesus had ride or dice. We're seeing that some of the, we're reminded that Simon Peter, we're reminded that some of the people that were Jesus' disciples, you know, one or um, people that would run away from the conflict, but they were the ones that would run straight into it. From Simon Peter in verse 10. I think I think as well it turns around. Um, isn't there a verse that talks about how the Son of Man came to save life? And I feel like even even with his guys here, with his disciples, that's exactly what he's trying to do. Hundred percent right. So if if you're thinking um, the the soldiers have come to to break up this almost breakaway thing, um, it's not the, just the leader that you would arrest. You you'd arrest everyone. So this at this point, you know, the guards are coming to take everyone. All of the disciples are going with them. Um, and if that had happened, then the disciples were imprisoned. Say, like they didn't get crucified as well. Say they were just imprisoned. That I mean, what would happen to the Christian church at that point? I mean, you know, God would probably have, um, you know, incited a miracle or whatever would have happened. But at this point, Jesus is showing a level of sacrifice for. Or protection for his disciples so he's saying you know what take like if you're looking for me just take me leave these guys don't worry about them let them go just take me right and then he mirrors that in verse 11 um when peter goes well we'll talk about peter in a minute actually so i'll leave 10 um for the for the minute but peter goes and chops off this guy's ear and jesus says to peter Put your sword away. Um, the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? What cup is he talking about? Uh, the sacrifice, the, the cross. The cross, right. But what does, this, what does the cross symbolise or what does the cup actually symbolise? Like if Jesus is saying, I'm going to take this cup, I'm going to drink this cup. What is, what is, the, cup, what is the actual cup he's talking about? Rather than you're you're speaking of what the action of taking the cup is, which is the cross agreed, but what is what does the actual cup symbolize? Does it symbolize our sins? Um, or or, or is, is it more about like the experience of um, you know, obviously the suffering and the actual the sacrifice, aka what he needed to do to take up this. Okay, we're nearly there. Let's go to um, Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. So I'll go read that quick. Okay. I just figured out what you're talking about. <laughs> we're there. We're there. Let's, we, we, can, we can go to Revelation still. Where is it? Um, chapter 4, verse 10. So Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, oh, sorry, I wrote I re- I re- this wrong. It should be 14 verse 10. Sorry, my bad. Then I'm, I was realising I'm not seeing the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that wasn't... That's not the text. Yeah, 14 verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of God. Cool. So what is the cup that we're talking about? 
The wrath of God. The wrath of God, right? This is a little bit crazy. This is where it gets crazy. This idea that, wow, this idea that that Jesus, Jesus did the sacrifice, but the wrath of God went into um, the wrath of God was dealt with when Jesus did the sacrifice. This idea that as much as God loves us and He sent a sacrifice for us, something still had to happen to the, the wrath of God. Had to go somewhere. And, and obviously. And- Agreed, and Jesus had to take that on. And this is the thing, right? We, Jesus could have quite easily um, got away, right? He could have quite easily said, look, we, we, see, we see this from verse, um, from verse four. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. Jesus could have quite easily snuck away before the soldiers came. He could have quite easily defeated the soldiers while they were on the floor. If you're in a position on the floor, you're vulnerable. And Jesus said two words. So ultimately, Jesus had the power. He showed them a little thing. He was like, look, I'm going with you. I'm going with you civilly, right? But this could be very different for you right now. Um, And Peter, you know, and we'll talk about Peter in a minute, feels like, oh, I need to go defend Jesus. Chops off this guy's ear. We read in other um, gospels that Jesus heals his ear. And then he says to Peter, what so should I not drink this this cup? And he's saying, I'm here to take God's anger for your sin for you. And not just for your sin, everyone's sin. I'm here to drink that. Um, God is about to be very angry with me. I've never been separate from God, but I'm about to drink this cup and be separate from God. Right? In fact, that process is probably starting um already, right? And so Jesus is already starting to feel some, some, you know, distance that he has never felt before with God, the Father. And so Jesus is saying both in verse 8 and verse 11, I'm here for you guys. Like, I'm here to deal with this for you. You're in a problem right now. The whole reason why you drop down when you see, when I say um, I am, or when you see God in his glory, or whatever the case is, it's because of your sin. There's a problem. You can't be with me right now because of your sin. I'm here to fix that. I am the bridge, right? So whatever I have to go through now, whatever this cup is, and you know the cup is the worst bit, obviously, but then he also has to go through all of the rest of the trauma that he's about to go through. Um, he's still saying it's cool, it's worth it, I'm ready, I know exactly what this is and I'm ready to walk into it. Peter, don't stop me. Cool. Um, Any other points before we continue? I think Jesus is mocking it a little bit when he puts Marcus's ear back on. Um, It reminds me of, uh, like, I can't think of a good example, but almost like if you've got two people fighting and the other person, the one that's winning, helps the other person to fight them more effectively and then goes back to fighting them. As, as if you've kind of like, you know, helped out the enemy because they're struggling. And I, I, I've actually, um, I've read a, a book series that is fictional, but kind of discusses what the effect could have been on Malchus for this. Like, like if you know his perspective on Jesus could have been forever changed and he could have ended up becoming a follower of the way because of, of this situation that he's had. 
but it's just the interesting um, concept what happens there. Cool, yeah, for sure. And you know what, Jesus, even in that Jesus was, um, Jesus was being merciful because Malchus was the high priest's servant, right? The right-hand man. And Peter, don't get it wrong, wasn't trying to cut off his ear. Peter didn't walk into the fight, right, let me just chop off this man's ear and it'll all be good. No, no, no. Peter was trying to do some damage. But obviously, Peter is a fisherman. So, <laughs> you know, his... His, uh, his accuracy with the sword isn't, isn't exactly what a soldier would be. So instead of, you know, hitting maybe a neck or something, he hits his ear. And at this point, Peter could be right. I mean, there could have been four crosses at this point because what Peter just did was a capital punishment crime. And so what Jesus did was, was save Peter's life. Right there and then, save Peter's life. And so we're going to go a bit into Peter's um, story um, now. And that's, this is a good segue. So, um, so Jesus saves Peter's life. And then we continue. So um, we've read from 12 to 14. Jesus gets led away, um, goes to Annas first, um, before he goes to Caiaphas, Annas being the previous high priest and Caiaphas's um, father-in-law. Um, and then um we get into verse 15 so we can read from verse 15 to verse 18 and simon peter followed jesus and so did another disciple that disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with jesus into the palace of the high priest but peter stood at the door without then went out that other disciple which was known unto the high priest and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that keep the door unto Peter, are not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. First denial. Um, let's skip to verses 25 to 27. And Simon Peter stood and warned himself. They said, therefore unto him, Art thou not also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied, it, denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Cool. All right, so we read about this um, a few weeks ago, where Peter was all had all the energy when he learned that Jesus was about to die or about to leave. Um, and Peter was like, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'll come with you. Look, me and you dying. I'll do anything with you. Look, you're not going anywhere. I don't care about what these other disciples are doing. But me? Mm-mm, it's not happening. I'm coming with you. And Jesus had to be very clear, Peter, you're not coming. And he's like, no, no, I'm coming. He was like, look, you're going to deny me three times before the morning. And it's evening now. So before the day, the day restarts in the morning you're going to deny me three times and you know that's been playing on Peter's head from what we know about Peter that's that's in his mind right so you can imagine when he then sees the soldiers come he's like right I need to prove myself he's proved myself to Jesus that I'm not going to deny him so the soldiers come and he's like right I'm ready and he goes and he chops off the man's ear 
And then Jesus is like, look, okay, Peter, I know, I, I get it, you're, you're in your feelings. Look, <laughs> just let me go through what I'm about to go through. Trust me, it's needed. Heals the man's ear. And then the very next scene where we see Peter, he's doing this denial. What do you think happens? Like, why do you think Peter denied Jesus? Do you think that Peter even knows what Jesus is about at this point? I, I don't know if that's like an unfair thing to say, but... You know, they've all been in the garden for ages, like probably, you know, for years, Jesus has been preparing them for, for his going away and his death, um, dropping little hints here and there. But at this point where he's tried to save Jesus, his life, and Jesus has rebuked him for doing that and put the ear back on. Um, and this same Jesus, which they've seen do really powerful and mighty things, has been led off like a weakling to the um to the uh, priest office and that kind of thing and it makes you wonder how how confident were the the disciples in jesus at this point how confident was was peter in jesus and i don't think i don't know if that's a fair question to ask but you know this idea like they've given their lives for so long but do they understand enough of what is going on to still believe in him at this point mm. No, that's a good question. Well, clearly not. Clearly not, at least not fully. Um, anyone else? Why, why do you think she's, um, Peter at this point denied Christ? I think, just as like a side comment, I think the situation that Peter had is a situation that all of us, if not most of us, end up in at some point or another where you have um, you have full faith in Christ, you have full faith in God, you, but you don't know or understand the journey in which God is taking you on. So you have one perception as to what things should be like and how things should be all, you could be on a, you could be on a high of um, whatever stage you are, like maybe especially if you're on the early stage of your, your journey with God and then you come across a certain situation or event in your life and you think it should go one way and when you see it moving in a completely different direction and then it's almost like this fear of the unknown comes upon you and that's when the real trial comes in and so do you have faith enough in me that although you don't have control over this you don't actually know what's going to happen and so do you trust me mm. and I think a lot of us go through that at some stage or another okay I thought it was going to be like this or I thought you know I know God is amazing I've seen him do this in my life I've you know I've, I know who God is now like I know and you feel like I think a lot of us when we first get to know God we feel like we know everything about God or know how everything's supposed to be because now we know him but it's not necessarily the case it's, it doesn't mean that just because we now know God praise God <laughs> that we now have all the knowledge and understanding to everything in life, obviously. It's the it's the beginning of the whole journey in that sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Ruben. I was just gonna say that, that that actually ties into what we're looking back um, at. I think it was maybe John 15, where we're talking about um, being in the vine. Um, he is the vine, we are the branches. And my perception has always been that 
if you're doing good, you're connected to the vine. If things are kind of unclear and you're not sure and you're not kind of doing the best things, then you can't be connected to the vine. You're like a dead branch. But um, the, the way that we, we broke it down was that Jesus is actually saying you can still end up growing a little bit twisted, a little bit weird, even connected to the vine. It's, it's the word of God that ends up snipping you in the right places so that you end up coming out all right. And um, it's crazy to think that even at this point where Peter is getting it so, so wrong, God is drawing nearer to him rather than his, 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 you know, we see it. And I think for me, it's easy to think that his relationship with God has just got very tenuous, very fast. And Peter's about to let go. But in reality, God is coming so much closer to him to get him through this point. And just because he's making some decisions that it's easy to be like they're wrong and that, you know, God is actually able to work those things out for good for him so that they end up making his relationship stronger than ever. Mm. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever the reasons why that Peter did this, clearly his, um, his perceived fortitude when it came to Jesus wasn't, re it wasn't reality. And for him to deal with that, he needed to know that. For him to get to the next stage where it's like, on this rock I shall build my church, Peter, that kind of Peter, the Peter of Acts. If, um, if, he, if he's going to get there, he needs to understand fully who he is and what he is like now for him to change. How, what his need of God is like, how, what, what kind of situation he's actually in, how bad it actually is. This is almost um, similar to the experience of the soldiers falling down on the ground. It's, it's a, a, a humbling experience of actually, wow, I'm actually this sinful. I'm at this, wow, it's actually this bad. Peter needed that experience. And there's a little quote from Desire of Ages that says, Peter called to mind his promise of a few short hours before that he would go with his Lord to prison and to death. He remembered his grief when the saviour told him in the upper chamber that he would deny his Lord thrice that same night. Peter had just declared that he knew not Jesus, but he now realised with bitter grief how well his Lord knew him and how accurately he had read his heart, the falseness of which was unknown even to himself. And so we're, we're met with this thing where even for us, oftentimes we may feel like we are more spiritual or, or more ready to handle certain situations than we are, as Midi was saying. And sometimes we need that wake up call to be like, wow, actually, I've lost it. Like, if, if, if I'm going to be anywhere close to being like Christ, he's going to have to do it because like, this, this is bad. Like, this is how simple I actually am. This is how lost I actually am. And when I, when I mean lost, right, I mean it both in the sense of the world is lost spiritually in terms of lost the kingdom of heaven, but also lost as in you have no idea where you are. You don't know how to get to where you need to get to. It's literally like I'm in a mess. And that's exactly where Peter is right now. He is in a mess, in a hot mess. But Jesus knew that Peter needed to go through this and go and and remember what we're speaking about here because we're going to kind of come back to it in a few chapters time 
but Peter needed to go through this to fully surrender his pride and his um and whatever was holding him back from actually being or surrender to God and actually being a tool that he could he could use. Right. So this is actually, although it's really bad, it's actually very good for Peter. Just got one more thing to add um, about this really quickly. Um, if you go to 16, it's got that verse right there where it says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Yeah? Mm. And verse 19 talks about, uh, sorry, verse 17 before that says, Blessed are you, Simon, because um, it's not flesh and blood that's revealed it to you, but the Father which is in heaven. The verse yeah. after, you know, he says, You are the rock I'm going to build my church on. Yeah. Um, so he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. So let me not even clean that language but he says i will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven yeah whoever you will bind on earth will be bound and whoever you will loose on earth will be loosed in heaven yeah and um it makes me think back to john 15 again a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about it and the, the verses were cryptic but what it was saying in the end was that you're going to pray and and jesus is talking to i believe talking to god about his disciples i think and mm. he they're going to pray and whatever they pray will be done because it will be accordant in accordance with my will. Yeah. So he's not saying Peter's going to have his own ideas and he's going to pray and God is just going to revolutionize everything for Peter and whatever Peter says goes, but he's saying Peter's going to only ask things according to my will. And so I'm already going to be doing them through him anyway, because he's come into work, working with and for me, as opposed to, kind of him getting this power by himself and doing whatever he's doing. And I think it's a thing, you know, Peter is now recognizing, yeah, exactly as you said, Reese. he thought he had a massive relationship with God. He thought it was larger than life. He's now been slapped down to size. And the question now is not, will Peter man up and become strong again? But will Peter man up and become weak again and find that strength in Jesus? 100%. That's exactly right. Um, we read a devotion yesterday where he was saying, rejoice in the weakness because it's in the weakness that my strength can be uh, made perfect, right? And this, this, that's exactly um, the story of Peter. Um, so much so that when Jesus says, um, Peter, in, um, on this rock I shall build my church, really he's speaking about himself. Jesus is the rock that his church is built on. It's through the personage of Peter because Peter let go of himself and grabbed onto Christ. And so, um, so yeah, what you're saying, Ruben, spot on. Okay, let's, um, let's quickly hit the rest um, before we run out of time. So um, if we could read from verse 19 to verse 24, um, and then we'll jump to verse 28. So 19 to verse 24 first. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I even taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. 
but if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. Cool. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, go ahead, Ruben. I've just grabbed Ruben's phone. I'm just thinking this his hands on Jesus. Imagine if imagine if God slaps him back. You know what? Just, Me, you're on the same page, right? Oh Jesus, he just said I am he, right? Man just fell on the floor. Soldiers fell on the floor, right? Because he said two words. Man took his hand and slapped Jesus. I was, I was thinking, <laughs> if, as you said, if God decided to slap him back, imagine, imagine, you, the, as in the creator of the universe, the guy who literally built this world and built you, you fixed your hand. Wait, mm. anyway. Clearly, it's obvious that these, this, this whole situation shouldn't be happening. Um, the Jews shouldn't be uh, having any kind of court at night. Uh, it shouldn't be conducted in this way. The, the high priest himself shouldn't be asking questions, um, you know, and they shouldn't be having any court so close to Passover. So this whole thing is a farce and Jesus knows it. Um, and yet this guy felt, felt confident enough to take his hand, Massey. Anyway, um, but Jesus... This is the thing, right? Jesus knows exactly why he's there. If Jesus um, was caught off guard by this whole situation, then you have the options to react. But because he is um, aware of why he's there, what he's doing, what his purpose is, and this cup that we spoke about earlier, um, he holds it. You know, he's actually almost... um, fulfilling part of his commandment, you know, turn the other cheek. And so even though he has the power to do whatever he wanted with that man, and rightly so, um, he let it go. So without um, spending too much time, let's let's jump on to um, 28 and see Jesus' um, relation to Pilate before we, before we go. So um, it's about 12 or 13 verses, so let's, let's do two verses each um, until we get to the end, and then we'll, we'll discuss quickly. From verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? Verse 30, they answered and said unto him, If ye were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law, The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, 
and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world, then would my then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence, from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Just finishing off 38, Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at Passover. Will ye therefore that I release you unto the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So, firstly, the um, firstly, let's deal with the the high priest and the Pharisees, and then we can deal with Pilate. So, what do we think about the Pharisees in this scenario? There's not much good, but you know. What do we think about them? They have such a desire to kill Christ. They're moving with such haste. Um, they're not even concerned about how it kind of reflects on them because they're obviously bringing Christ the pilot to say, oh, it's not lawful for us to, ki to kill a man. But obviously they're hoping that he will kill him. <laughs> for sure, right? It's actually, um, okay, yeah, go, go, Ruben. Are they allowed to beat Jesus? Um, pass. I, I have guess, no idea. But um, if you think about like the, the Book of Acts, yeah, there's a couple of times where they get hold of the disciples and they give them a whipping, or they give them a couple of licks and they send them on their own, on their way. Mm. So, just midnight kind of said it well as well. This idea that you know their their desires are very thinly veiled at this point. They're not coming for judgment, for justice, for none of these things. Yeah, they've decided that Jesus is going to die and now they need to make that happen. So this isn't about weighing the, the wrong that they perceive and that kind of stuff. This is just about getting rid of him. Agreed. Agreed. And this is, this is what's dangerous, right? Um, is how legalistic the Pharisees are. Get this. They are happily bringing an innocent man, trying to kill him, not being able to do it under their own power, so getting someone else to do it. Um, not only that, they, um, they're, they're bringing all these false accusations against him. And then in the same breath, they're saying, yeah, 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 but 
we don't want to go into the courthouse because, you know, it's Passover, we don't want to be defiled. Sorry? You don't want to be defiled. You're you're taking the Son of God to go die on the cross and you think happily that you go take um, Passover with no conscience. And this is how dangerous being in church and being legalistic and um, and thinking that certain things um, are okay and other things aren't, and not taking the whole truth at the, at the whole truth. We often think certain things are worse than others. You know, I was talking to Nathan yesterday um, about how you know we will happily condemn eating pork, um, but then you know things else, um, meat that isn't prepared in the in the biblical way, we're happy to eat, right? And so it's, are we are we happy to do certain things and con- and and condemn other things? You know what I mean? And that's, so, it, it's very pharisaical, condemning certain people for, for one way, thinking that somehow you can go and murder someone, right? You can get someone else to do it for you, and then you can go and take Passover, it's ridiculous. And so um, we, we as, as Adventists, as Bible-believing Christians, we need to be um, very careful in how we, um, we relate to the law and how we relate to other people, given that. Um, yeah, Ruben. I remember a song, um, I was singing it with Nathan this week, and it's talking about, um, the chorus says, we will sing songs to the glory of the Lamb. I mean, it's quite a simple song. Um, but there's this ad lib in the song that talks about how we often glorify the problem. We often big up our sins and big up what we're doing wrong. And sometimes even big up the laws as we have them. Yeah. But we're not understanding them from the angle of the goodness of God or even God's character where we're understanding them more as we've decided that this law, this, this ideal is the benchmark. And so it becomes so big in our minds that we forget the character of God. We forget kind of who we're dealing with. And so I'll be like, wow, I'm doing this behavior and I, I shouldn't be doing this behavior. So instead of understanding the gospel, coming to God, truly wanting him to kind of change me, but through relationship and through understanding who he is, my whole side is about this one thing. And it's a little bit of a tenuous link that I'm trying to make right now. But I think that, you know, when this person can reach up their hand and strike Jesus, because the high, the high priest, the law of Moses, these things are so big in their mind that they cannot see right in front of them that it's, it's I am he that is right in front of them. The same one that they've made the laws about. And, mm. and, and we see it, how these guys have become so caught up in what they see as the letter of the law in its loopholes, yeah? That they cannot see that the same justice and mercy, which are the pillars of the throne of God, and they're throwing both of these things away as they're seeking justice on the on the Passover, which was to say it saved their own lives. Yeah. Mad. Madness. The, the the real joke is that um that the thing that they really want to stay pure for being the Passover festival is the very thing that speaks about Jesus. And it's just, it boggles the mind. It really does. It's the very, the very symbol of, you know, the lamb um, when in, the, in Egypt, when they put the lamb on the doorpost so that the angel would pass by and, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't die. 
um, that very lamb that died to protect them is, is the very lamb pointing to Jesus. And that's the very festival that they're trying to celebrate at the very time that they're trying to kill Jesus. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's boggling, boggling, mind-boggling. Um, and then, so yeah, finally, before we close, just um, any, any thoughts on Pilate and his, and his involvement in all this? You know, Pilate didn't see nothing wrong with him. And, like, he saw, saw Jesus come in the, the whole judgment, whatever it was. And, um, you know, he saw him, he was like, what, you know, what, why, what have you done? He couldn't see what was wrong, you know, so, like, mm. thought he was innocent. That's why they, that's why he wanted to release Barabbas. Well, he made, he gave him a choice, you know, Barabbas or Jesus. Obviously, they took the choice easier. They did, yeah, for sure. The thing with Pilate, right, is that he—he's um, a man who likes to pass the buck, right? He clearly saw Jesus was innocent. In fact, he tried to ask him questions so that he would, um, so that he would, like talk, talk, and make himself guilty. He's like, "Are you king of the Jews?" And if Jesus said, yes, I was king of the Jews at that point, he'd be like, right, great, cool. I have some, some grounds to which I could do this. But Jesus said, said Look, uh, my kingdom ain't even, I'm not trying to take over any kingdom. My kingdom is above all of this. My kingdom ain't even of this earth, understand? And Pilate has nothing incriminating to put on him. So he's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just leave it to the people then. Um, and he's, he's just not, if he was really about what he should have been about, he should have just released Jesus right there and then. Uh, Midi. Oh, I think I was going to say basically somewhere like obviously he's trying to incriminate he's trying to get him to self-incriminate himself yes yeah and then he doesn't <laughs> and then um, you can see there's almost like a sense of curiosity from Pilate mm. but at the same time he doesn't want to I think he, he's probably obviously considering his position as well as like the role he played as um, governor yes. for today, he probably thought uh, from a more um, political sense of okay, I don't want the Jews to come up and start shouting and screaming on things. But I don't really see a problem with this man. I'm not too sure if that sits right with me. It's just you know, kill him for the sake of. Um, there maybe there was a number of I, I can imagine that maybe there was a number of things going through his mind like that. Maybe he's also mm. thinking, well, if I do kill this man, it's like, well, it's an innocent man. Am I just giving in to the Jews? Like, obviously, I run them. They don't run me. But at the same time, I don't want to uprise him. At the same time, I don't want this problem. He was thinking of it probably from a very political view of everything. For so sure, as you said, sure. like, passing the buck and also just kind of hoping whether, if not someone, but at least something will help to make the decision for him. Mm. For sure, for sure, right. Um, and I, I like how you say curiosity because there's this um, when he says um, um, in verse 38, Pilate said it um, unto him after Jesus says, um, "For this I was I came into the world that every man may, may be witness of the truth, and everyone that heareth of this truth heareth my voice." Um, and Pilate says it's almost um, in resignation to the situation. It's almost like a oh, what what is truth? Um, and you can, as as Midi is saying, there's this conflict in his mind about how 
how am I going to deal with this? Um, in Desire of Ages, it actually um, says this. It says, Pilate longed to, um, to deliver Jesus, longed to deliver Jesus, right? But he saw that he could not do this and yet retain his, um, his own position and honour. Rather than lose his worldly power, he chose to sacrifice an innocent life. How many to escape loss or suffering in like manner sacrifice principle? Conscience is um, and duty pointing one way and strongly uh, and self-interest pointing to the other. The current sets strongly in the wrong direction and he who compromises with evil is swept away into the thick darkness of guilt. And so clearly um, Pilate is, is conflicted, but ultimately he decides that this, this matter isn't worth, um, isn't worth my self-interest, isn't worth my position. And so he, he, he allows whatever happens to happen. Um, and so many times we're, we're met with similar dis, um, decisions, probably not of the same gravity as, you know, killing Jesus, but, you know, is, is, is equally as important to our spiritual lives. Um, so yeah, any other points before we before we wrap this up? Obviously, we'll be going into um, into the thick of things next week for chapter nineteen. Just agreeing with what you said. Um, you know, we look to same same as Pilate in many situations, especially when it gets awkward for ourselves. You know, mostly when it gets awkward for ourselves, we just want to pick up the buck and pass it. Uh, and we we like it when God gives us um, <laughs> choices, or he, or again, okay, no, we like it when God closes the doors, or um, you know, when something happens that eliminates all options but one. But when God is trying to get us to do something, and we we've entertained the thought of going against that, sometimes just by continuously entertaining it we stop ourselves from um, having the strength to actually do the thing that God wants us to do. Mm. For sure, for sure. For sure. Yeah, Midi? Um, this is another um, separate related point. I think the overall um, chapter, especially when we look at um, the verses where Pilate is obviously speaking with Christ, it gives a little bit of um, insight as to the kind of things that we may face in our own journeys in terms of um, you, there might be a time where obviously you're questioned or um, you're, whether it's you're verbally attacked or God forbid, but you're physically attacked or whatever in regards to um, you and your faith and what you believe in. There might be things that are thrown at you. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a situation already where whether, I don't know, you were out evangelizing or whatever you are doing or you're speaking with friends who may not be christians or etc and they've asked you or like why do you believe in this or do you think this or um they've come with um similar similar types of questions and obviously when we look at the example of christ when he's speaking with Pilate, he doesn't he doesn't go into this crazy rebuttal he kind of just asks the relative questions back, which make Pilate 
does he think for himself? As in, you, you know, he's not going to just throw a question out there and confuse mm. the whole thing. It's just going to be a very simple response and reply, which actually brings clarity back to the situation. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's just this last point that um, I was thinking about, especially when um, we're talking about, um, you know, having an experience with Jesus and how we react to that. Um, imagine, imagine for a second, uh, there was an angel that followed you around everywhere, and um, and this angel recorded everything that you said. So every single pro proclamation that you said about what was right and what was wrong, they recorded it. And in the end of the judgment, when, um, when Jesus comes again and all the rest of it, it is on your own words that, they, um, that you're judged on. Right, so what you said was right and wrong not what the Bible said, not what God said, not what the Ten Commandments said. None of that was used. It was literally just what came out of your mouth. Um, how do you think you would fare? I know for myself, probably pretty badly, um, even against my own human standards of what I've said coming out of my mouth, not using um, the Bible, right? And so, understanding coming to grips with uh, and understanding our complete deficit of spirituality um as peter had to go through as the soldiers had to go through we really have two options the soldiers carried on even having seen what they saw of jesus they carried on doing what they're doing they still picked up jesus they still took him to where they were going so there's one option the other option is to um go down peter's route and we're going to um, kind of go down that route more and more as we go through the next few chapters of John towards the end, um, but ultimately towards redemption and allowing Jesus to sort that out. Um, and so, you know, that's up to us. That's a choice that we have to make. Um, but yeah, yeah. Any other points before we close in prayer? No? Okay. Um, Reuben, could you pray for us to close, please? Sure. Um, Jesus, we're reading about how how it was towards the end for for you and um, the series of decisions that everybody around you had to make as well when they actually were given the opportunity to seek your light, to seek truth, to seek integrity and honesty in their behavior and in the thoughts of their heart. And we see this kind of bend towards evil, this bend towards denying you and seeking comfort in the things that we're used to, the things of this earth, Lord, whether that's worldly, like um, interest or fame or position, um, 
even in our worldly weapons, Lord. We see with Peter where, you know, he didn't know how to fight with your word at this point. He knew that he had to take out his sword and he felt like he needed to do something. But you tell us that that's not how you want us to fight. That's not how we fight the devil. And we see you, Lord, who was, you know, is the most powerful. And yet you became so humbled and allowed these people to treat you this way for our sake. Because as Nathan said, the, the wrath of God needed to go somewhere. And um, I remember when I heard him say that, Lord, I thought that, you know, that just goes to show because you've been right to build up the anger. It's, it's not right to just let it dissipate into, into nothing. You, it had to go somewhere and it had to be satisfied. And yet you chose to do that yourself because you love us so much that you're not willing that we should perish. And um, Lord, I guess my prayer is that you'll please be with us as, as you have been with us in this study, Lord. But remember that your spirit is there for us even now. And as we have decisions to make about how we're going to react to decisions of you, Lord, how we're going to react to our sins and um, things that challenge our honesty and challenge our resolve in you. Help us to remember that even like Peter, we can recognize that we are weak and still choose strength in you. Still choose that we're going to hold on to what you've given us. And help us to know that even when it seems grim, even when things are rough and we don't feel like we really have an option to come to you, that you are still there and that your, 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 your word says that you're actually pulling in closer to us in those times of weakness and struggle. And I'm thanking you for this opportunity and I'm asking that you please help us as we go through the rest of this Sabbath, Lord. Um, that will claim your promise that you're, you're wanting to show your goodness to us and reveal yourself to us. And I will say as well, Lord, it, it seems kind of climactic as we, as we come into the end of this book. And, you know, I don't want any of us to leave this, this situation that we've been in for the last few months and weeks as we've been reading through John. We don't want to leave it the same way, Lord. And so we're asking that those things that we're, we're going through in our own personal lives, that we'll trust you not to leave us alone. We'll trust you that even though the devil has his plans for us, that your plans are greater and your power is greater. And that you want us to come into closer relationship with you. Um, thank you for everything. Through Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.